was coming back from Thailand a few weeks ago with our missions team and, and had to stop in the Hong Kong airport to switch planes and do a layover. And, and I, in the process, had to go through customs in Hong Kong. And as I walked through the, the turnstile into the Chinese airport there, I noticed something that I had never noticed in an airport before. I had a TSA-type agent standing at, looking at people like me who were coming through the gates with like a radar gun pointing at my face as I walked by. It's never a good feeling to have someone pointing anything at your face if you walk by them. And so as we walk by, I turn around and I, and I look, and what I saw uh, was a screen that had a picture of humans like me on it with pictures of the temperature of the human's body coming through the gates. And I thought, man, this is interesting. They're trying to see if I'm sick before I get on an airplane. Like, I kind of thought, I wish we had that at our TSA. That's a really good thing to do. And then I got home and I turned on the news and I started to hear about what was happening coming out of the Wuhan province of China with this outbreak of the coronavirus. That, that from some market there in Wuhan, there's disease jumping from animals onto people and then infecting others. And by even last night, I was looking at the report, almost 2,000 people have contracted this coronavirus now worldwide. And 65 people have passed away from this uh, aggressive virus. And so all of these countries of the world are battening down the hatches like they were doing in the Hong Kong airport and stopping people from entering or sending them to the hospital or quarantining folks because the last thing that anyone wants to see happen is a global viral outbreak, a, a pandemic. There's been a few times in world history where, where diseases have broken out across the whole planet. We think of the, the bubonic, I won't even try to say it, the Black Plague in the Middle Ages. We think a few years ago with the SARS outbreak and how terrified and on edge everyone was because there are some times that some diseases get into human beings and they become so infectious and so aggressive that they could jump from person to person, from group to group, from nation to nation, and all of a sudden the map starts turning red with all these clusters of people getting this scary disease all over the world. I'll read the reports on the outbreaks and think about the way that viruses spread. And I thought of something I had never thought of before. That the way that God's kingdom is breaking out, even in China, as we were working with these Chinese pastors there, was very similar to the way that a, a virus outbreaks in a people group. We saw God's kingdom in China going viral, in a sense, as people were coming to Christ in droves all over the place. I saw the map of the outbreak of the coronavirus, and I was thinking in my mind of the map of what we pictured of what was happening in the underground church networks in China. And I've told you before that in the seven networks we support in China, it represents 60 million believers in the underground church in China, that God is breaking loose all over mainland China, all over the country. We heard stories of people, I told you one last week, of that woman who went into the village and shared the gospel, and people heard the message and were saved. Then she was thrown in prison. She led everyone in prison to Christ. Then they all left prison, and they all went back to their villages, and they started sharing the gospel. And the way the gospel was virally growing throughout China and continues to this day, it looks like an infectious disease where these pockets of Christians are popping up all over the place and it's crossing borders and crossing seas and crossing socioeconomic bounds and crossing villages and the whole world eventually is starting to fill with the glory of God. It was not fun to think about the gospel of Jesus as a virus. 
And I think there is a reason that when we see things spreading in that way in our country, we call it going viral. Because the way that a virus is spread is the same way Jesus envisions his kingdom being spread until it grows throughout the entire earth. In this series, we've been talking about Matthew 28, primarily verse 19, where he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all uh, panta, nations, ethnos. It's like a pan-ethnic movement of God. Now, pandemic, pan Demos is the same kind of root in the language, this idea of something that eventually spreads to every tribe and tongue and nation on planet Earth. We've talked about what it means to have the power of Jesus go with us. We've talked about what it means to move with Jesus around our neighborhoods. This morning, we're going to look at that phrase, make disciples, this verb, disciple, and talk about how do we partner with Jesus in spreading the gospel like a contagious disease everywhere we go. You know, as we think about the gospel as a contagion, I know that's not a very nice image, but it made me think this week, man, if the gospel was a disease, I don't know how good most of us are at spreading it. You know, sometimes we treat the gospel like it's a real disease, right? Like we kind of keep it under wraps that we have it. We don't want people to know that we're showing up at work sick with Jesus, right? And so it's like they see the Kleenex box on your desk. Like they see the Bible on your desk. Is that a Bible? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Somebody else left that here, right? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, I'm fine, I'm totally fine, right? You get a phone call at work about small group. You're like, yeah, I'll be there at the meeting tonight. Or it's like, why are you so scared to say you're going to church? You're going to, right? but it's like we live undercover. We don't, we don't want people to know that we have this infectious bug called the Holy Spirit within us. Because a lot of times the people in the real world out there look at us like we are diseased, like we are unclean, like Christians, stay away from me, right? Don't sell me your Christianity. And so we kind of sequester ourselves. We like rooms like this where everyone already has the disease. We stay with, it. We stay with our own people. It's like we've all had chicken pox. We're immune. Let's hang out together. And we hang out in these pockets of infected people. And we rarely cross the bridge into worlds where people have not yet been affected by the disease that has gripped us. Because we don't know what to do. What does it mean to make disciples? How do we lean into that? How do we share the gospel? How do we partner with God in that? We, we, we don't know. We feel awkward. It's hard. And this morning, I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture a little bit earlier. This is Matthew chapter 13. If you have Bibles, you can turn back to Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> The verb make disciples is only used three times in the Gospels, once in the Great Commission, once referring to Joseph of Arimathea, who was made a disciple of Jesus, and once here in Matthew 13, when Jesus is talking about the nature of the kingdom of God. He uses the verb to make a disciple after he talks about the way that the kingdom spreads virally around the globe. And so this morning, I want to take a look at these parables of Jesus in Matthew 13, and learn what we can about how we can partner with Jesus in his work of gospel sharing today. You know, I've had some bad experiences in my life when it comes to sharing the gospel with lost people, a lot of cringeworthy experiences. Ever had a cringeworthy experience? I remember what, this was 20 years ago. I was just starting to work at the church. I was an intern in the junior high department working on a little lesson for my junior high kids. I was sitting in Starbucks in Castro Valley, and a woman comes up to me, and she says, can I ask you a question? Right, it kind of felt like she was about to share the gospel with me. Right? I'm like, sure, ask me the question. 
She said, I work for the Castro Valley Forum. It's a newspaper. Every week we put pictures of people in there and we ask them a question and we put their responses under their name. No pressure. I'm like, no pressure. All right, I got this. Ask me your question, right? I'll be your token 19-year-old in the newspaper. She said, the question is this. In which institution do you place your most trust? In which institution do you place the most trust? And I'm like, oh, easy, the church. Right? So she writes down, the church. And she starts to walk away, right? She snaps my picture and then starts to walk away. And I'm like, I should probably say something more than that to her. Like, this is an opportunity from the Lord, right? So I'm like, whoa, before you go. This is where I started getting into trouble. Before you go. I got to tell you just personally, if I have a really hard time imagining placing my faith in an institution. And I'm like, so if... I don't want you to go from here and think that I'm telling you to go put your faith in the church because if you go to church, there are going to be times that people in the church fail you and you're going to feel like God failed you. So I don't feel like God designed us to put our faith in institutions. I said, I said, I said honestly, if I was answering your question honestly, I, I would say the only thing in the world to, worth putting your faith in is, is a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. She's like, okay. And she's writing down. Like, Why are you writing that down? <laughs> just stop writing that down. It's just me and you right now, right? But she wrote it down. She wrote some of it down. And so then the paper comes with my beautiful picture in it. <laughs> Danny Strange. I don't know if it said three crosses or neighborhood church, whatever. Danny Strange. It says, in which institution do you place the most trust? And I'm like, eh. It says, I would say the church. But I don't trust the institution. <laughs> Danny Strange, staff member of Neighborhood Church Cashway. <laughs> Instead, I'd say a relationship with God or Jesus Christ. Right? Like, just pick one. God, Jesus, the Spirit, anybody, right? Just because just I hate the church, right? So I'm like, no, that's not what I said. Right? My phone, this literally happens. My phone rings in my office. It's Larry Vold, right? I want to talk to you a little bit about your answer on the phone. I'm like, oh, I was misquoted. He's like, oh, I get it. I've been misquoted so many times. So anyway, what do you believe about the role of the church? In a... <laughs> oh, no. All right, that cringy feeling that some of you have felt as I've told that story is the feeling you get when you imagine sharing your faith with a person who's far from Jesus. Right? You feel like you have this disease that you're sneezing on them. Like, I'm oh, sorry, here it comes. A lot of cringy moments for us when it relates to evangelism. And yet when Jesus talks about the nature of the spread of the kingdom of God, it doesn't feel cringy at all. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all your seeds, and yet when it grows, it, it becomes a tree so large that the birds of the air perch in its branches. That's what a kingdom's like. Because the kingdom of God is like this little piece of yeast, like a bit of yeast that a woman takes and puts into a large batch of dough. And as she works it into the flour and the water, this tiny yeast is able to permeate and grow and inhabit all of the loaf of bread. So that's what the kingdom of God is like. So the kingdom of God is like a farmer who's got this satchel full of seeds. And everywhere he goes, he, he just throws seeds wherever he goes. And some of the seeds land on the path and the birds eat it up. Other seeds land on rocky soil. It doesn't work too well. But every once in a while, one of the seeds of the kingdom lands in this rich soil that's ready for it. And the roots grow deep and the stalks grow high and it produces a hundred times what was sown. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
So the kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure that's hidden in a field. And a man is walking through the field and he stumbles upon it. And he realizes that it's so valuable. He runs home. He sells everything he owns to purchase that field and acquire that treasure. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a pearl of great price that a merchant of fine pearls is so excited about finding because he realizes it's what he's been searching for his whole life long. And so he liquidates his entire collection to buy that one beautiful pearl. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a a wide net that a fisherman casts into the lake. And he pulls it in and it's filled with fish and Some of them are the ones he wants to take to market, so he takes them out, and the rest of them he sends back in. It's a wide net that God sorts out some from the others. That's how the kingdom of God expands throughout all the earth. I don't see my cringeworthy Castor Valley Forum story in those parables. It's like he gives this new perspective of the way that God's kingdom grows and expands through one person. Primarily himself, right? Jesus is the seed that falls to the ground and dies and produces a hundredfold, but he gives us this organic vision of a kingdom that virally expands in all these different ways, through all these different lenses. He's showing us that the kingdom just grows and grows and grows and grows. And as we partner with Jesus, we take part in pushing out the kingdom wherever we go. I started thinking about these different parables through the lens of viral growth, through the lens of, a, of an actual virus. And it's crazy to use the virus analogy and, and weave it through all these parables. It's kind of gross. I want you to prepare. I'm about to tell you something that's going to make you want to wash your hands. And you should after I tell you this, right? I don't think they understand about germs in Jesus' day, but I feel like if they did, he could have said, that the kingdom of heaven is like a germ. It's microscopic. You can't even see it. And yet as it floats through the air, it lands on your tongue. And even though it's this tiny little microbe of a thing, it grows and multiplies within you until your whole body is affected and you're stuck in bed for weeks. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven, it's it's like a virus, right? Where just one human being can have it. And yet they walk through Safeway and sneeze. And a week later, a hundred people are homesick. That's how it works. The kingdom of heaven is like a sick person who's sneezing all over the place. I just (laughs) slow motion sneeze, light. (laughs) Some of the germs land on the floor where they get swept and mopped up. Other germs land on the produce section that you take home and eat without washing. Some of the germs land on the shopping cart where people's hands carry them to their faces. Some of the germs fly straight into your mouth as you walk by and you're infected immediately. So the kingdom of God is spreading like a virus. (laughs) Kingdom of heaven is like a doorknob. That a man is unsuspectingly walking at work and he grabs and even though he didn't intend to grab a germ-laden doorknob that day when he wipes his face, that doorknob is able to change the man's life. It clears his social calendar. It takes away his ability to earn wages. It takes away his ability to hang out. Everything in his life is changed from one doorknob. The kingdom of heaven is like growing up in the 80s when your neighbor gets chicken pox. 
your mom takes you and sticks them in their house and locks the door. Remember this? 80s kids locks the door behind you and sequesters you with all these chickenpox infected kids until you catch the disease and grow in immunity. That's how the kingdom of God is spread. It goes viral. The kingdom of heaven is like cold and flu season where there's germs everywhere, everywhere. They're floating around us right now. And you're all breathing them in. You're all touching your face. Your eyes starting to itch right now. It's happening. And some people get sick and some people don't, and no one knows why. Some of you get flu shots and you got sick. Some of you didn't. You didn't. No one knows how it works. God sorts it out, but the virus affects us all in different ways. That's how the kingdom of God is spread. And the reason I labor the point of making the kingdom of God sound like a virus is not to paint Jesus in a bad light. But because this is the way that he depicts it as this organic, virally expanding effort that seems to move forward effortlessly on our part. We just throw the seed. We just sneeze. And it moves. If what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God is true, and it is, then technically sharing the gospel should be as easy as sharing your cold with a lost person. But if Jesus is just someone you carry, and you're a carrier, and you walk around a lost world, and you rub shoulders with folks, and you sneeze around folks, and you shake hands with folks, you share meals with folks who are far from God, eventually, if Jesus is with you always, and his power goes with you, his authority goes with you, if he sends you and deploys you into places on purpose where there are pockets of darkness in this world, and he wants to bring his light then really if these parables are true, your existence in these places and your opportunity in these places and your conversations in these places should naturally start infecting lost people with the glorious gospel that's permeating from your pores. Should be that easy. I think one of the reasons that these analogies are really helpful is a lot of times we look at making disciples less like passing an illness and more like selling a product. Like we picture that it's our job to be Jesus salesmen wherever we go, right? Like you sell Cutco or whatever, right? So you got these friends and you're building these relationships and eventually you got to convert, right? So you're like, hey, can we come to my house for dinner? And then they get there and you pull out the Tupperware, right? And they get there, you pull out the Cutco knives. You get there, you pull out the Amway, right? Like, hey, I want to talk to you about something very important to me. Like that's what it feels like to share the gospel. Like the kingdom of heaven is like a salesman with a briefcase, And it's full of Jesus. And wherever he goes, he builds a relationship that he takes him out to coffee, that he gives him his pitch, and he hopes they sign on the dotted line. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't give us a picture of the kingdom's expanse like one Christian selling Jesus to another. He gives us a picture of the kingdom's expanse like one Christian just organically passing it on to another. Like his spirit is permeating this world as it jumps from one carrier to another. I know we say that sharing the gospel should be as easy as sharing your cold, but we know that it's not. I think part of it is because we are walking around this world and it feels like we do have a virus when we relate to people who are not believers, right? Nobody wants to hear we're Christians. When we tell someone we're a believer, they're always scared we're going to take them to our house and try to convert them. They're always scared we're going to invite them to church, right? Sometimes we're scared to invite people to church because we think we're weird, right? We probably are weird and we don't want to have them rub shoulders. Some of us have like a Christian circle of friends and a non-Christian circle of friends. Our work friends, our church friends, they never should collide, right? That's how you live your life. So it's almost like you sequester yourself with all the diseased Christians over here. 
And then you try to like take some DayQuil and hang out with your non-Christian friends and hope they don't realize that really you're sick with something you don't want to tell them about. It should be easy, but for some reason it's not. Jesus finishes telling these parables to his disciples and then he asks them in verse 51, he says, do you guys understand these things? And the disciples say, yeah. Most of the commentaries I read said, they're lying. They have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, we get it, but I think they're not lying. I think they get it, right? We get it. That's how it works. It spreads. It grows. It's mysterious. It's beautiful. People move the gospel around the world, and it's growing, and it's amazing. We get it. And then Jesus says this in, in Matthew 13, verse 52. He says to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven... That's that verb, disciple. They've been discipled into the kingdom of heaven. Is like an owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. I feel like whenever the disciples start to understand something, Jesus says something really confusing that makes it so they're in the dark again. And every commentary I read about this passage was like, oh, we don't know what he means by this. (laughs) This What? How... You just told a bunch of parables about the nature of the spread of the kingdom of God. And then you say, therefore, anyone who's become a disciple is like someone who owns a house and can go back into a storeroom and bring out new and old treasures concurrently. What does that that mean? I, I think what Jesus is trying to convince his disciples is that as they stand there in front of him, they have a worldview. They have a picture that they've gotten over their lives of how the kingdom of God works. And they got it from the Old Testament. They got it from their religious leaders. They got it from their parents, their family of origin. They got it from society. Some of that stuff's true. Some is not, right? They've gotten this whole picture of what the kingdom is and how it spreads and what Messiah will look like and how it'll work. They've got that picture in their minds. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm, I've just given you a bunch of new data to plug into that worldview that you carry. You've always known that the kingdom exists. Now you know that it's like yeast. Now you know that it's like a mustard seed. Now you know that it's a treasure. Now you know that it's like a pearl. Now you know it's like a net. Now you know that it's like a farmer who scatters his seed. He says, once you've been fully discipled, you're like a person who's able to go back into their storeroom and bring back the old stuff, but also bring out this new stuff and add it to the way that you navigate life in this world. I've just shared with you a perspective about the the movement of the kingdom of God that for many of you might be foreign to your understanding of how evangelism or disciple-making works, right? Maybe you've always thought about disciple-making as sales, or maybe you've always thought about evangelism as sitting down over coffee and drawing on a napkin, how to get to God over this bridge and whatever. Maybe you have a picture of how the kingdom expands or God's role for you in the future. And now Jesus has given us a bunch of parables to show us the organic nature of the growth of his kingdom. And it's like Jesus is saying to us, okay, now you've got some new imagery Put that in the mind with the rest of your imagery and bring it out as you live this life. Bring it out as you navigate this world. Draw it out as you build relationships with people. Let this imagery infect your worldview and let your worldview affect the way you live life on the planet where God has placed you. Let these parables change the way that you relate with a lost and dying world. I think as Jesus shares this with the disciples, he's helping us to understand that if you want your faith to go viral, you should live as if you carry a life-giving disease. 
You should live as if you carry a life-giving disease. Right? Think about the way that Jesus lived. Jesus was that guy who never avoided the people who were sick, but he went right to them. Right? Jesus would walk into a city, and there'd be a leprous man over in the corner. You're like, unclean, unclean. Everyone's like, stay away from that guy. He's got a contagious illness. And Jesus is like, what? And Jesus would like beeline it over to the guy with leprosy, hug him, but instead of getting leprosy, Jesus gave health to the leprous man. It's like he had this life-giving disease he passed on to somebody. Jesus would walk into a city. There'd be a house full of people who were sinners and tax collectors and non-believers. And everyone's like, stay out of that house. Jesus is like, what? Which house? I'm going to that house, right? So he walks into the house. And they say, oh, Jesus, look at him. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus looks at the religious people and says, it's not the healthy people who need a doctor. It's the sick. I'm going to bring wellness to that house. He right? says, says to Nicodemus, today salvation has come to your household. Jesus himself is walking through your door and bringing health and beauty and restoration and salvation to this place because he was a carrier of something contagious that could save people, that could heal people. Right? If you wanted to go and make people sick, you would do the things that Jesus did. You'd hug people. You'd shake their hands. You'd spend time with them. You'd share meals with them. You would rub shoulders with them. And you would rub off on them. And the Jesus in you would transform them. That's how he lived wherever he went. Amen. I think one of the things that we need to wrestle with in our own life as we look at this passage and we look at Jesus' teaching is that your faith is infectious. It just is. And so the challenge for each of us is to go into the world and hang out with people until they catch it. And some of us live lives as if we don't want people to catch what we have. That's what I keep saying. But your life would be very different if you thought that you had a communicable disease that people were supposed to get, right? You'd probably get out of your minivan when you dropped off your kids at school and go and rub shoulders with the other parents there, right? Because you want them to catch a little bit of what you got, Jesus in you, right? You probably have people at your house who are far from God because they're going to come into your house and get infected with the disease of your household, which is called Christianity, right? That's how it's going to work. You're going to accept invitations from people who are far from God, even though you're so different from them. And you might think, oh, they don't want to hang out with me. I've got Christianity. <laughs> Jesus is saying, I'm trying to give them the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit who lives in your body into their home. And from there, I will be able to sneeze all over these people, right? <laughs> In our house, uh, cold and flu season is like a war zone. Uh, we got six kids. We don't want anybody getting sick because when sickness comes into our house, it doesn't leave. Right? Like <laughs> Jessica gets it, then I get it, then one kid gets it, the next kid gets it, then the first kid has somehow lost his immunity and gets it again, then the next kid gets it, then it's a different type of the form, then they all get it, then they're sick, right? It just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes, right? And so we batten down the hatches. My wife is amazing. That's stocking us full of like vitamins and uh, vitamin C and airborne and anything recommended by an elementary school teacher. We take it, right? Anything. We're eating this stuff, right? And someone says, hey, we're coming over tonight. Just so you know, I got a bit of a sore throat. We're like, no, you're not coming over tonight, right? <laughs> Stay away. Unclean, right? One of our kids gets sick, we're like, nope, we're staying here, we're not touching, talking to anybody. Like, stay in your room, lock the door, we'll slide food under the door, right? This thing is not going to break out. We're not going to have a strange household-wide pandemic. This is we got to curb this thing. I think if you want a fun thought experiment this week, don't share this with people because it'll sound really weird, but if you want a fun thought experiment this week, imagine how your life would be different 
If you viewed Christianity as a contagious disease, and your mission in life was to get as many people as possible to contract that disease as possible, I bet you'd spend a lot more time with people who are far from God. I bet you'd spend a lot more time talking about your faith. I think, that, I think faith sharing is the equivalent of sneezing on someone in my analogy, right? I think you spend a lot more time looking for opportunities to build relationships with people who are far from God. You spend a lot more time thinking about where you spend your time, probably just as much time as you spend thinking about where you don't want to spend your time when it's cold and flu season. You'd spend that much time saying, man, I need to get this thing out into the world. I've got a friend who is really passionate about reaching people for Christ in his circle and, and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a small group and I'm going to make it full of people who are far from God. And so he went and, and invited every single person that was in his social sphere that does, doesn't know Jesus into this small group, right? His barber, right? We don't realize how many people we see on a regular basis that are part of this mission field, right? His barber, his kid's teacher, right? All these different folks that they rub shoulders with and yet they never talk about their faith. And he just said, hey, I'm starting this small group. It's about Christianity. Are you interested? And there are people who are like, uh, no, I'm not a Christian. He's like, it doesn't matter. Come and bring your anger. Whatever it is, just Come. They had their first meeting last week. He said it was crazy. It was amazing. Everyone said yes. They all came, and, and there are, there's people fighting, right? Not with each other, but just against the content. And she was like, I don't agree with any of this, right? He said, it's amazing to see what God is doing as these people are encountering these truths of Christianity through this video series for the first time. It's like God is working in some way, and we just started. And he said he was so excited about this idea that he started telling other people in his church that they should do it too. And they decided to do a church-wide campaign. But the problem was no one else would do it, even though they thought it was a good idea. Like, I'm just scared. I don't even know how to invite people to my small group. I don't even know. How do you do this? And so he's had to go and coach people one-on-one. Here's what you say to your hairdresser. I'm starting a small group in my house about Christianity. Do you want to come? And then see what happens. Like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. When you get it, and you realize, you know what, the pressure's off. I carry the, the presence of the Spirit with me wherever I go, and God has put me on this mission. I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to sneeze out there and see what happens. God does amazing things when we choose to partner with him in the work that he's already doing in the world of helping lost people find the beauty and glory of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond with worship.